Hello and welcome to the Noisy Hadger podcast, episode five of the podcast. Yes, I do say podcast and podcast sometimes. Uh, it's Friday night and whenever I used to hear it's Friday night, I'd automatically finish off that sentence with it's 7.30, it's still number one, it's top of the pops. But that was many years ago and we don't do that anymore. It is not top of the pops and it's not 7.30, it's 20 past nine. I've just dragged myself off the sofa to make myself finish this podcast off. I recorded it a couple of months ago and edited it today and I was thinking, oh, I'll put it out tomorrow morning, but I do need to try and keep the promises I make myself because they are, they're the hardest ones to keep, aren't they? Well, they are for me anyway. So putting something out on a Friday night, even if it means working until the early hours or being tired or whatever, I've decided this is just the thing I need to keep at. So, hope you've had a good week. Um, I have, well, I've started a new job is my main update. The first time in 12, 13 years that I've actually, that I'm actually an employee of a company, which is a bit, it's a bit strange. Um, And I think it's going to be a bit of an adjustment period. In a way, it's kind of normal because everyone works from home. But as a freelancer, I don't really have to have six meetings a day from my laptop and of course when I used to be an employee and worked in-house for a company meetings would be face to face and I'm already finding it really exhausting I don't know how people do it I don't know how people do four or five meetings a day staring at a laptop screen um it it does not feel natural to me so I'm going to try and get in the office as much as possible but still it's um it doesn't feel right I don't know. Hopefully I'll adapt. Anyway, it's it's kind of good news. It is it's a great company, a great job, um awesome people. I get to work with an old colleague from years back and she's hilarious and so much fun to work with. So, it's been a bit of a it's been a bit of a gift after a crazy year. Um but apparently uh opportunities really are like buses because I now have to <laughs> respond to about a million different emails um and and figure out what I can what I can still do for people um and what I can outsource and yeah it's all it's all quite quite a busy and a busy time I'm feeling quite overwhelmed at the moment and and what do I do when I feel overwhelmed I stare at a wall or my phone anyway what else have I been up to yeah so I went to Devon at the weekend um you might remember I said I was doing all the cooking I did do all the cooking and of course every single meal came with about three disclaimers um, because they all could have and should have been better, but they weren't. I wanted to deliver, you know, master chef standards of cooking and uh, I didn't do that. It was more like the, I don't know, I can't say ratatouille, but like the guy before the rat came along in ratatouille. Was he a good chef? I don't know. Anyway, um I'm tired. I'm very tired. I'm feeling quite uh, emotionally tired and my soul feels tired. There's a lot there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff in the world. I think the stuff in Iran is kind of a strange backdrop. Um so that would be I guess in a book that would be your external conflict. And then internal conflict is sort of being back in touch with my dad and trying to manage that in a sensible healthy way. Um and trying to be a self-sufficient, emotionally self-sufficient adult 
who doesn't slip back into old patterns. It was interesting. So I was talking to, I was talking to uh, my partner Curtis about about the relationship with my father and how to manage it going forward. And often we do when we talk about parents. And I, I know a lot of people think about this, especially when you have a, a bad relationship with your parent. You think about what it will be like when they pass away. And I don't want my future guilt to determine how I act now. Because I do think when we go, oh, you know, you'll feel bad when they go or this that, and the other, or you regret things. And I just think, actually, like regret in itself is not a good feeling. And guilt is I don't think I don't think guilt has anything to do with what you do or don't do really because I think certain people are just more prone to feeling guilty about things like I think you know when my father dies um I will feel guilty no matter what I think I think we'll all feel you know you just feel guilty if that's if that's an emotion you resort to and I think with guilt if your life has kind of been determined a lot by guilt if that's the key manipulator in why you do things that's not a healthy motivation so I don't think it should be the motivation in this hypothetical future either saying that after talking to Jess and and last you know last week's podcast where she talks so much about an opportunity to show love and an opportunity to make someone feel loved, I've been trying to think about what are the ways that I can help my father feel loved and help myself express love. And I guess love is sort of, we're talking, you know, agape or philos love. So, you know, there's what the three types of love, love and agape is like love thy neighbor love. And then philos is, you know, family love. So how can I show that love without it sort of damaging myself. Um, and so, yeah, I've been trying to think of, of ways I can do that, especially when my dad is going through a period of grief. And yeah, but keeping keeping things healthy because it is hard, um, especially when there are strong emotional patterns that are embedded. So away from the constant internal monologue about my father and to this week's episode, which is a difficult and delicate one. I know it's been, this is like the second heavy one in a row, but on Sunday, it's the start of Baby Loss Awareness Week. So Sunday, the 9th of October until the 15th is Baby Loss Awareness Week. And my friend Jules Kelly has agreed to speak about her daughter, Chloe Kelly, who she and her husband, Ed, lost on February the 14th of this year on Valentine's Day. So I... I'm not kidding when I say I've re-recorded this intro about 20 times because I just cannot find the right words to introduce this episode with. Jules did want me to mention her friend Charlotte, who she talks about in the podcast, but Charlotte and her partner Alan lost their daughter Margot about six months before Jules and Ed lost Chloe. And they've been doing some incredible fundraising work for Great Ormond Street Hospital Children's Charity and they've, in fact, already raised something like £21,000. So I'm going to put the link up in the description. So do check out their fundraising page and donate if you can. I'm going to go straight into it because, honestly, I keep tripping over my words. And I really struggle. And I talk about it with Jules, that sense of never knowing what the right thing is to say. So I think this episode will help people, not only those going through this, but those who are trying to support people going through this, 
because I don't think we have the right language or vocabulary around loss, especially when it comes to to baby loss. So, of course, if this is a subject that is particularly difficult for you to listen to right now, please don't listen on. Uh, But if it's something that you think could be healing to you or a friend or will help you understand more of what parents going through uh, this experience, then I really, really think you'll find it valuable. So thank you so much to Jules for talking to me about this. This is Jules Kelly talking about her daughter, Chloe. I mean, I'm really grateful that you want to talk about this and I hope that listeners and and other yeah couples will um women will find this helpful um and so let's yeah do you want to talk to me talk to me about Chloe so yeah so uh Chloe is um our child um who sadly isn't with us anymore she was still born in February this year on Valentine's Day um and it's when 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 you and I first talked about doing a podcast um what really came back to me was how in the early days after we lost Chloe um my amazing friend Charlotte who I'll probably talk about a bunch because she's absolutely amazing Charlotte Bennett and Margot Bennett and Alan Bennett shout out um she recommended to me um some podcasts and um there was one in particular called grief cast that people may have heard of and there were some episodes on there about baby loss that I found in the early days and like we're talking about a week in after Chloe was born um that just really helped me I guess I think those early days of losing a baby or losing a child are such a blur and so all-consuming. I think I think there are like five podcast episodes, and one of them in particular that I found so helpful, and I've I must have listened to it now like five or six times, was by Zoe Clark Coates, who is um, she is the founder of various um, grief and baby loss charities, and she herself um, has lost five children, um, but she has two living children as well. Um, and she's also a, a therapist and counsellor and so on. So she can kind of see things, I guess, from two different sides um, of being the person having experienced it, but also the person uh, who also, I guess, helps support people come through it. Um, and I think it's so... And, it, you know, anyone experiencing a really deep grief there will still obviously be really, really difficult, bad days, moments, certain triggers. And sometimes it's really hard in those moments to remember how to keep living or to like find any kind of hope. And I think a lot of people do find hope in, again, in survivors and in other people, seeing other people living on, coming through it, smiling, laughing sometimes, like, and having some sort of life or future after that kind of loss. Um, I remember, I remember when I was. This is a slight detour, but you'll see why it um, it's relevant. When I when I was young, um, Orpington was really close to Eltham, which is where Stephen Lawrence was sadly murdered. And I have 
growing growing up around that time, and my mum is obsessed with the news, we had, I feel like Stephen Lawrence's family just became such a big part of our life mm. for quite a long time because it was on the local news everywhere. He was on newspapers, like, we were so aware of him. And since Chloe has passed away, I've, I just think about his mum constantly. And, like, because I guess you never think that, that you would experience this kind of grief and I think on the outside you just think like oh wow what a horrendous thing to happen to a family and and so on um and obviously Stephen's case is really different to ours and it's a whole other level of grief I can't imagine but her I just like her face and her expressions and I just I think about her constantly and I just think if she can continue to live and do you know, amazing things in his memory and consult on, you know, documentaries made about him and all of this kind of stuff. Like, there's just so, there's so much about survival that, um, and seeing survivors, like, continuing to live and doing things in, in the name of whoever has passed that is really important, I guess. Um, and my friend Charlotte, um, that I mentioned as well, she, Lost her lovely daughter, Margot, um, on the 2nd of July last year. So that was about seven months before Chloe was born. And actually where I am now is is six months, just after six months after Chloe was born. So I'm almost mm. in a similar place to where Charlotte would have been when Chloe was born. Um, and Charlotte is just, apart from um, Ed, my husband... Um, like Charlotte has been absolutely my number one uh, person really that has gotten me through everything with Chloe and still continues to um, and it feels like we're both trying to like help each other through each day and like um, are you um, are you comfortable talking through yeah. like what happened in that last week or two you don't have to at all or and you know and, and her birth and because I, oh, I, yeah. I love there was, yeah. you said there was a sort of juxtaposition of the worst day of your life with something that was strangely beautiful when you got to meet her. Um, yeah, only if you yeah, yeah. are happy to. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, and I think we're also very lucky in a way that our birth, her birthday um, was really beautiful and joyful. And I think for a lot of people, there's, there, I think the majority of people, there's usually a lot of trauma around the birth for different reasons, sometimes because medical things happen or whatever. But we were really lucky in that the actual birthday was amazing. Um, so through through the pregnancy, so we, uh, we've been trying for children for quite a few years um, and we lost a pregnancy at the beginning of 2020. Love a bit of 2020, sure. Uh, and we lost that pregnancy at kind of five, six weeks, so very early on. Um, and they do also say that like one in four pregnancies ends in a loss. But I think most people always think, oh, that will never be me. Um, so we were like absolutely over the moon when we found out that we were pregnant last July with Chloe. And we decided on her name. It's funny, we'd, we'd had a list of names for years because there was this one time that we were in a bar 
And we realised that we had really different opinions on baby names and we had a, quite a big row. I think, Years before life. you had a row about baby names. That's like Bridget Jones and Colin Firth when they're, uh, and Darcy arguing about what school their, their non-existent child will go to. So we'd, we'd, we'd had some names, I'd literally, I've still got it on my phone, a list of names that we were both happy with that I've been carrying around with me for years, right? And, um, but we, yeah, and anyway, so we just, we called her Chloe quite early on. And it, yeah, so he, Ed, Ed was always quite into traditional names. And I've always just been really into French names because I'm half French. So my name has always just been French, 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 pretty much. And Ed, I think Ed that night was like, oh, you know, what about something like Victoria or Elizabeth? And I was like, I think I, I, think I literally said, have you met me? Are you, are you literally joking? Do you think I'm going to have a child called Elizabeth? No offence to any Liz's out there. Um, and we've also got lovely people called Liz in our family. Hi, Liz. Um, anyway, so literally over the moon. We also live in quite a small flat in East London and when we Ed went into this amazing mode within the first I think two weeks of finding out that we were pregnant and we hadn't even gone past the 12 week scan point at this point but we were just telling everybody and really excited Ed just reacted by buying a bunch of furniture that we have no space for because he just could imagine that in the future we would need it for her and so all this furniture just started to A few weeks in. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, what? And he was like, oh, because I'm going to have to rearrange that room and then we'll have to get rid of that. And then, and it was just all like 200 miles an hour. But like, so just the excitement was just everywhere. And we were so happy. And like, at the time and even now, we look back and we were like, oh, that's the happiest that we've ever been. We found out quite early on in the pregnancy after the 16-week scan uh, that I had something called low pap A, which is uh, basically suggests that the placenta isn't working as well as it should. But um, as long as you take aspirin and you monitor it and all of that, it should be fine. Um, a, about a week or so after that, we found out that I had gestational diabetes, which can create other problems with pregnancies and the baby's growth. But the problems with um, gestational diabetes kind of balance out, if you like, the problems with low pap A. So everything was kind of looking like it would be okay. Um, I had to, with the gestational diabetes, I had to go into the hospital a lot more for monitoring. And um, I had to do like diabetes tests every day with blood. So I was doing four blood tests a day at home or wherever I was, at two-hour intervals after, you, like, literally two hours after you've eaten. So, like, my diary was just constantly, like, alarms, alarms, alarms of, like, all these different things. And that's, you're also not really shown that side of pregnancy, of, like, you know, what was shown is that kind of Instagram, beautiful pregnancy of baby showers and all that stuff. And I was just like, what can I eat? What can I not eat? I have to take aspirin every day. Like, it was just a very, I guess, medical pregnancy right from the beginning. And then we got to 32 weeks, and at 32 weeks, I got this symptom of itchy hands and feet. And 
I was told by the midwife to go straight into the like emergency, basically this like area where pregnant people after a certain amount of weeks go. Um, so I went there and then, and then they said that there was a, a problem with my bile acids. I still don't really understand it, to be honest, because a lot of the pregnancy was such a medical whirlwind that it was just constant, like, this might happen, this might happen, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they were really worried and they like called me into hospital at like 10pm on like a Wednesday evening. And they said, okay, to, because of these bile acid results, we're going to have to look at delivering her prematurely at around 34 to 35 weeks, which is quite a, a big thing to hear. Like, you know, hearing the word premature when it, it's just, it's quite scary, I guess. And then after after that hospital visit I was then in hospital a lot so I was kind of in hospital kind of two three days a week doing lots of different tests so that they could monitor things monitor her heartbeat monitor blood pressure blah 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 and like they would monitor me over quite a long period of time so that they could like see different stats and whatever um and then yeah, and it, I mean, it was all still ticking along, looking like it was all going to be fine. I just had to, we just had to monitor various things. And they'd booked me in for a scan on th the Thursday after after she was actually born. They, I was supposed to have a scan that day. So it was, you know, three days after she was actually born, I was supposed to actually go in. And they would have done a cesarean that day. Um, but what ended up happening is that exactly on 34 weeks, um, which was a Sunday, I went into natural labour. So we went for a roast and everything just seemed quite normal. I noticed that um, I felt quite different that weekend, that like she felt a lot lower and my body just felt quite different. But I just thought that she was going through a growth spurt because they'd give me injections to like help increase her like lungs and stuff and help speed up her growth because we knew she was going to be born prematurely so I I was actually sat where I'm sitting right now we'd come back from having a roast Ed was in the back room I'd just made a cup of tea and went and I sat where I'm sitting right now and then I just felt these twinges and I was like oh what's what's that and I couldn't work out what it was and I guess I'd, I'd become so aware of my body in this whole process but also like I think I'd gotten to a point at this stage where I'd, I'd been, I'd spent so much time in hospital. I was just like, oh, this is just another, th this is another like side effect or whatever. I, I, and I just didn't think it was contractions. I really didn't think it was contractions. And then I, I just started Googling it. I was like, because it also just didn't feel like how we'd been taught in our antenatal classes. Um, and then I noticed that it was like four in 10 minutes which is when you're supposed to go into hospital if you are actually having contractions. And I got Ed to come and sit with me and I just said to him, and also blessed because Ed had been like ferrying me to and from the hospital because a lot of this was in quite a high COVID rate time as well. So like I was having to get, um, the amount of money I spent on taxis going to the hospital because it felt unsafe to get on my bus. Like, and, and Ed was having to like ferry me around while also trying to like start up a new business and do his actual nine to five job. So bless him. I also didn't want to worry him too much. And I was like, will you just come and sit with me and watch me? Because I don't really know what's happening. And he was like, yeah, I think this is contractions. I'd, luckily, 
been shopping the day before and bought loads of premature baby stuff. So I, and I'd packed all the bags the day before just in case because I thought it was going to be on the Thursday. Um, and we had so many bags because we thought we were going to be in hospital for quite a long time with her being premature. So we were told that she, it's you know kind of likely that she'd be in hospital for quite a while. Um, so it was, it was like going. It, was, it probably looked like we were going on holiday. Like it was just so many bags, and it was all our suitcases and stuff. Genuinely, we had a pillow for Ed, I think, as well. So we had like everything, and and it was a Sunday. So like the parking at the hospital was amazing, but like Homerton Hospital is usually an absolute nightmare for parking. And we were like, oh my god, we're so lucky it's a Sunday. La la. The hospital was so empty and clear, and. It, it just felt like, oh, we're so lucky. We just kept thinking, like, oh, my God, we're so lucky it's Sunday. It was so lucky it's Sunday. And then we went in. And, I mean, I'd been in that, like, emergency pregnancy area a lot. So, I like, they kind of, the person on the desk recognised me. And, I'd you know, I'd seen him, like, twice, three times already that week. Um, and, like, but it was completely deserted. So there were no pregnant people around. Usually there was, like, loads of people in the waiting area. And there was nobody around and there was no, just nobody in any of the beds or anything. It felt really like, oh, like, where is everybody? And we went through and then they put, they were trying to put these straps on, uh, on my, on my belly on Chloe to, uh, find her heartbeat to like hook her up to the monitor to just see how she was dealing with contractions and throughout the pregnancy, we were told so many times, like, oh, my God, she's moving so much. I can't. She's in, she's impossible to scan because she's moving so much. Oh, my God, she's flipped three times in five minutes. How is she moving so fast? Blah, blah, blah. And the first person that tried to put these on was like, oh, my God, she's moving so much. I can't get these on her. I, I need to go and get some help. And we were like, oh, lol, she moves so much. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then she came back with two people that looked quite serious and like one people, one person came and just like started like holding my hand and I was like, oh, this is cute. Like, um, and then the registrar like got the machine out, like the, uh, the ultrasound machine out and was like scanning all over my belly. Um, but like me and Ed don't know what we're looking for. Right. So we're just like, yeah, scanning, trying to find out like how she's positioned, blah, blah, blah. And then the registrar person said, we're really struggling to find her heartbeat. Um, we're going to have to ask for a doctor. And then the energy just really changed. And then they moved us into a different room. And I remember the midwife, I think, was like still holding my hand. And and I was completely silent. I, I, and And she was just saying to me, like, can you hear me? Do you know what's happening kind of thing? But I think I just had like a real like out of body experience in that moment. And I think Ed was talking and asking questions, but I I think I was just like really zoned out. Did you sort of, your body knew what was going on? You were, I know you're saying it's blurry now, body and stuff, but was there a moment you remember just going, I know what's happening when they moved you into the room? And um, I To be honest, I think I was still confused because um, because also I was still going through contractions, right? So I'm also trying to just breathe through the contractions happening at that time. And so like you're like your your brain's not really there anyway. And I can't remember if I'd started having gas and air yet. Maybe I hadn't. And I, I remember Ed saying to me, and I can't remember exactly when this was, but and he said this quite a few times that week. He said, 
if we can get through this, we can get through anything. And he, he just kept on saying that. And then the do- and then we had we basically had to wait for this doctor to come in and do a final check, but they'd moved us into this other room that was co- really dark. It had fairy lights. We were completely on our own, and it was like the minute we were in that room, I was like, "Oh, some this is this is a room where only bad things happen," kind of thing. Like it just it felt so different, and they'd clearly taken us away so that so that we could like scream, cry, whatever, without upsetting anybody. Because this was also essentially where all of the births happen. So there would be other people going into labour and like whatever nearby. And then this doctor, God knows how long we were in there for. I mean, it felt, it felt like so long, but the doctor then came in, did another check. And again, the rest of that team was still there. And he just said... He just said, I'm really sorry, your baby is dead. Um, and then, yeah, I guess my life stopped in that moment, really. Um, I remember you when you first told me that sentence is still very much in, I mean, I imagine it's burning into your brain, but I remember when you told me it, that clarity of it as well. I remember you saying, well, they can't, they can't sugarcoat it. They have to know yeah. that you can hear. I remember, like, Ed started, I think Ed just started phoning people. And we were still, you know, I was still in labour as well. So they said, like, oh, you know, we'll come back and kind of talk you through through the options labour-wise, but we're just going to give you a bit of time to kind of process and whatever before we do that. Because also, we'd always prepared for a C-section because of the other complications. I never expected to go into to labour. I just never thought that that would ever happen. So there was also that, like, like, what the fuck do we do now? Like, um, and I, I just, like, I could not, I couldn't really talk to, I was talking, I was, like, responding to Ed, but Ed went straight on the phone to, like, phone different family members um, and was, you know, Ed's really open with his emotions, was just, like, you know, crying and all of that. And I was just, I just remember, I just straight away, I just text Charlotte. <laughs> and I guess there's such a it's so weird like when I was when I was there for Charlotte when she was going through it again I never thought I would go through it myself um, and, I, and I just in that moment I just remember thinking like because I, I saw Charlotte and I was texting her and I just I just thought, oh God, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not as strong as she is. But then I also just felt this, like, such a comfort in, like, oh, my God, I know that Charlotte's gotten through this. And I know, you know, and I know that Charlotte's had other people that helped her and maybe Charlotte will help me. To have all that stuff going through your mind as well like you'll have every single thought and I imagine it goes from the ridiculous practical weird stuff to this deep deep what now but to also have that I don't know to know who to text and to have that glimmer of hope even though I mean I know we're complex beings and we're probably like while processing we're thinking of the next practical action like what next what do I do like and yeah there's just so there's just so many things because like and I was I was still at work at this point, so I wasn't due. I was due to start my maternity leave that that coming Wednesday, and it was the Sunday, or at the end of that Wednesday. 
so I was also like, I'm in labour and I'm supposed to do a handover tomorrow morning to my maternity cover. I, I guess you also, you also just become really aware of like who's nearby. And I'm so lucky that we've, we became really close friends with our neighbours in lockdown. Uh, and they were, I think I let them know really quickly. They were some of the people that I messaged straight away. So my first go-tos were message my mum. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't send any voice notes, whatever. I didn't speak to people for quite a, quite a few days. But I messaged Charlotte was my first person that I messaged. Then I messaged my mum. And then I think I messaged like the neighbours, my girls from school. Um, and I think, I think that was it. And Ed was on the phone to his family, who we're really close to. And then we were told that... Um, that the best thing to do was to uh, just continue the natural labour and not have a C-section and to go home. And to be honest, we wanted to go home as well, to go home because the contractions, after we'd been given the, the news, the contractions had really slowed down. So the active labour part had slowed down. So they suggested going home and coming back when we were back at four contractions in 10 minutes. And we were really keen to just get home as well. And like, as you know, I have at least one cat, often more. And our cat Doris is so affectionate and I find her so comforting that I was just like, I just want to go home and be with Ed and Doris. And then also and also because we'd brought in we looked like fucking Love Island with all of our suitcases that we now didn't need. It was like, well, we can just take all this shit home. But then coming home and like being like sleeping next to her crib and like her stuff was literally everywhere. Because we'd, we'd already, because we knew she was going to be prem, we had everything and we'd, and a lot of stuff had arrived that week as well because we were like, okay, we have to get everything in pronto. So mm -hmm. our, our flat was just full of like all of this brand new stuff that now we don't need. That's one of the hardest things, like going back to the home that you have created for that child that now isn't there anymore. Sorry, no, this is a lot. You really, I mean, it's only if you yeah yeah no always happy it's it's I think it's really important for people to know and also people that don't get to have these one-on-one -on -one chats with me or get scared to have these chats or whatever can just listen I guess um and then the next morning the next morning oh I managed to sleep through the night through contractions by some miracle because bodies are amazing and I guess I must have just been absolutely exhausted as well and then the next morning, the contractions kind of started again around seven. One of the first texts I got that morning were from our antenatal group, from uh, one of the other mums being like, Is it... <laughs> does anyone find that they're really constipated in the morning? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, oh fuck, I've got to... Like how do, I, how the Leave fuck do group. I communicate with these people now? Like what do, oh my what God. do I say? Um, and I just remember being like, oh, I'm just gonna have to, I'm just gonna have to say it, aren't I? Because I also thought, what if other babies are born today? I can't, I can't face like dealing with seeing other babies. Like, and one baby had arrived the week before, so we were at the beginning. So there'd been one baby out of our group of fifteen people, um, that had been born. So like fourteen other well 13 other babies after Chloe were imminent so I was like I, so I, just, I, th I, was, I think it was like seven or whatever but just after someone text about being constipated and I just text back being like I think it was something like 
Hiya. Um, just letting you all know I'm in labour. And unfortunately, uh, Chloe has passed away. So I'm going to be exiting that group, this group. Um, good luck, everybody. Oh, Hope gosh. your babies are okay. Or something like that. <laughs> and, then I just, and then I just left. Um, and then I, re then I was like, oh, I have to have to talk to work um like what the fuck so and like my I've, I'm really lucky that I've been at my work for a long long time and I absolutely love my team and all the people in the job like love 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 um so like compared to a lot of other people like it, it was probably a lot easier I just remember texting my boss being like um I'm in labor and I think I sent like a labor thing first and then I sent another thing of like probably similar to what I sent to you that was a bit more like with warning being like I've got some bad news you might want to sit down blah blah, blah. Chloe's passed away um so I sent something like that to my boss I'm not kidding Jules it still is incredible to me that how much you think of other people whatever you're doing it is honestly I just I I can't believe you have this trait it is so beautiful that even in like the most awful moments you're still like I need to make sure that people are okay but it blows my mind I think you told me some stuff about being in hospital as well like you were still still thinking of other people it's um yeah it's unbelievable it's beautiful but again that probably comes it probably comes back to our upbringing again though right where you're told that everybody is more important everyone else is more important right so that's just how you that's just how you become that like oh how how would it be for that person how is it you know and also like you just don't really you don't know what other people and families are going through because not everybody is vocal right so there's also and you also don't know who is pregnant or who has just found out that they're pregnant right um anyway the birth so we go back into hospital after I leave that whatsapp group and I let work know um so by this point, I must, I think I had about 30 appointments or whatever up until this point. So I'd been really, really heavily monitored. And every single person that we had at Homerton Hospital was like 10 out of 10, absolutely amazing. Every doctor, consultant, nurse, reception person, like just everyone was absolutely amazing. And everyone that we met on Chloe's like birthday was also absolutely brilliant. And our midwife was called Philippa and then it changed over to someone called Ileana. So we go in, it, there's quite a lot of waiting around. Again, we're in a separate room, so we're very far away from any other families giving birth. And contractions were, you know, in kind of full swing, gas and air, all that jazz. And then this doctor came in and before they discharged me on the Sunday, they checked to see how dilated I was and I was one centimetre and then... By the time that there was this next check, it was like three o'clock the next day. And they checked me again. And I was again like one centimetre. I was like, you're fucking kidding me. I'm still the same and it's been like 24 hours. So we were like, oh God, this is going to, this is going to be forever. Like this is going to last for days and days. And like, what, what, what on earth? And Ed, bless him, was like an absolute shell of a human because he'd been like looking after me and processing everything and also doing all the like, fucking taxi runs or car runs or whatever to the hospital. And then they gave me, oh, they gave me, oh, what's it called? Fentanyl? I think that's what it's called. It's like, it's like heroin. I didn't know what the hell it was at the time. And it was only afterwards that Ed was like, you know, that's part of like the heroin 
family kind of thing. I was like, usually they wouldn't give it to people in, in labour because it affects the baby, but in this situation, they were dishing it out. Although it was under lock and key as well, but I had like a button where I'd press it and then it would go straight into my bloodstream. It's fucking amazing. Um, don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> and, um, and the anaesthetist was like hilarious and beautiful and he was a lot of fun. And we, we met our berif- one of the bereavement midwives called Tracy. <laughs> and this was also hilarious because <laughs> Philippa, the midwife, had just come in and she just said, oh, Tracy's on her way, and then closed the door. And I looked at her and I was, and immediately we both thought my friend Tracy, who was my first girlfriend. How did I call her? And we were like, apparently Tracy's <laughs> busting her way in. Okay, <laughs> that's very Tracy energy. And I was like, great, okay, Tracy's on her way. Obviously on all the drugs and stuff, so I'm like, okay, so Tracy's coming. And then, <laughs> Fine. <laughs> And then, and then Tracy, the bereavement midwife, arrives and she's like, I'm Tracy. And we're like, oh, yeah, no, that makes more sense. Sorry. <laughs> I guess meeting her in that moment when we were still in labour was just so helpful because she kind of talked us through everything that was going to happen. Charlotte had also sent me so many helpful things about what was going to happen and different options while we were in, uh, in the kind of contractions, labour and whatever. Charlotte was saying that when she's born, we'd have the opportunity to spend some time with her and have photos and all of that kind of stuff. And we were talking about it and we both felt a bit differently about it. I was really keen to meet her because I was just so curious to see what she looked like because all of Ed's family look exactly the same. And I was like, will she look like me? Will she look like them? Um, so, yeah, I met the briefment midwife and then... We were like, we're going to be here for ages. So this was around three o'clock on the Monday. Going to be here for ages. And and then we're like, Ed, just have a nap because you're so tired. You just need to have a nap. Uh, nothing's going to happen for ages. It'll be absolutely fine. And then, and then things started to get more painful. And I was like, oh, this is just how it is. And then it's so funny. When you request your notes, which you can do from the hospital, highly recommend they basically have a log of all the things happening in your pre- your in your active labour and what times all the different things were happening. And I think it, it was so funny. It says something. There's like a note at like 3.15 where it's like, Philippa offers Ed and Jules a tuna sandwich. Ed, Ed happily accepts. Jules politely declines. <laughs> and then at half three, Philippa apparently had offered me a ball to sit on if I wanted to. I was like, no, no, I'm all right. And then quarter to four, in the same hour, I just yelled, I have to push. Ed was asleep. Philippa was out the room dealing with other births um, and other emergencies. And so it was literally just me and Ed. And I was just like, I have to push. What a wake up call. What an alarm clock. Bless him. And he just like, woke up and was like, "Uh, uh, what do we do? And I was like, call Philippa. We were trying to call Philippa, but she was still out. So I did the first push and Philippa came back in just after the first push and Ed shouted, we've got a head. And then she was like, and then she was like, oh, because uh, she, she didn't think it was going to be till like the next day as well. And then one more push and she was out. So it was just like two pushes out of nowhere. And then here she is. I think Ed and I were both really scared 
of how that was going to feel after she was born. Um, but then it's, yeah, it, it honestly just became this like beautiful moment. Philippa was absolutely amazing as well. She must have been like really experienced, I imagine, and like has probably dealt with this kind of situation a bunch and was just super confident with everything and amazing and like everybody that came into the room after she was born would go straight to Chloe and look at her and say oh she's so beautiful and everyone would do that and then come over to us and that just made it I don't know just like really lovely I guess and like you know we held her we had so we were given this box um I think by Tracy's a midwife, not Tracy, my friend. And it's like a memory box um, from this charity called Four Louis that we've raised some money for since Chloe was born. And in the memory box, there are lots of things that you can do with your baby um, if, they're, if they've passed away. Um, so there's things like hand and footprints that you can do. There's clay prints as well that you can do of hands and feet. You get a lock of the hair and put it in there and there's there's just all this beautiful stuff and there's also like teddies and baby grows and all of that so that if because also you know people that some people that just don't have money for those kinds of things have all of that accessible immediately and it, I think those boxes cost like 50 pounds a box or something so it's an amazing thing that you just get for free there's a beautiful little heart thing as well you said wasn't yeah there, like oh a, my yeah so oh my god that heart has been has become such a thing so for baby loss the symbol is butterflies and so in the box there's a butterfly key ring where the middle of the butterfly is a little heart that pops out it's like a little metal butterfly and the idea is that you put that in the baby's hand and so that they keep it with them and I'll go back to that in a second but after after she was born we I think we we were in the hospital until about half eight so she was born at about quarter to four so we were in there for like you know a good quite a lot of hours just like spending time with her and just looking at her and stuff and she looked completely like all of Ed's family and nothing like mine <laughs> apart from the hair she got the dark hair from my side um and we took lots of photos of her and like her hands and feet. Like, it sometimes it's quite difficult for people to look at photos of babies that have passed away, but it, it seems a bit easier to look at photos of hands and feet. And their hands and feet look completely, you know, pristine and like any babies would. Um, and yeah, so we just like had a beautiful day with her, and then we had this other lovely midwife called Iliana who, um who swapped shifts and she was brilliant and Ed did everything like all the prints all the clay stuff all the hair bits like he was just amazing it was really beautiful um and we've got some amazing photos of like all the three of us together and then I guess one of the weirdest things is then just leaving and leaving your baby there which in a way we knew we were one of the things that I had to get prepared for in the week or so up to the birth was the idea of her being premature and having to leave her in hospital. And that's something that re was really upsetting me in, in the prep for the birth. Um, which is weird because then we had to leave her there, but for a different reason in the end. Um, so we, we decided to have a funeral a few weeks later and we had lots of, I know you were there and um, 
we decided some some people do it with just like a few people but for us like our family are are our friends in a lot of ways as well as family I think there was something so um beautiful about having well it was 30 people wasn't it which quite a I think it was 50 actually yeah quite a big number to really mark her life like that she existed and that it was it was such an honour to be there. It really was. It was like one of the, you know, it's it's a day that will, will stay with me. Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, because there was this, we we all were there with your grief in a very mm. real sort of visceral, everyone just felt, I mean, obviously we can't feel your pain and, and the depth of it and just just what you've gone through, but it felt, it felt so right because I think yeah. we've always kept... Um, stillbirths and miscarriages I've grown up thinking it's normal women have them and you don't like like women are some sort of super well we are superheroes but like like people who um, go through this it's normal it's just part of being part of life and there was never I remember my family and uh, the women in my family just talking about miscarriages and stillbirths like it was just right oh yeah oh well that happened and that happened like and I never really thought about you know what it really means and I think it felt so right that people were there with you hearing about Chloe as well because you yeah. your aunt shared this beautiful yeah. reading that letter that you wrote to her and it was because of, otherwise I just think we we just see it as you know someone who never existed or never was part of never was loved by all these people you know and we were all you know we all loved her even though we didn't know her. it was like through you you know we were there for you and for her memory and that she existed and I imagine a lot of bereaved parents feel that and actually this singer Rosie Langley who I um, mentioned to you she she did a post about her um her baby and because she'd said that I want to people to know who was here and I think a lot of people have this sense of people don't know that they were here and that your parents and um it was Sorry, just like yeah, taking away from what you were talking about, but that, that having people there and it it really felt an honour. Like it was this awful thing, but there was something. Yeah, it was as beautiful as as it could have been. I think you know, and I I think it's it's strange. Like Ed and I have always been very, we're, we're, I'd say we're both quite open people, and I mean me in particular. Like I'll talk about anything and like you know, very happy to have a, a conversation about any topic of any depth or whatever. Like, there's no, like, topic off limits, really. But it's, it, I found it fascinating how unprepared and just how difficult British people find death and loss and if especially around babies or children Mm -hmm. it's it's so historically swept away of like oh no it's almost like oh it's too painful that you couldn't possibly talk about it yeah but that is just it's damaging for everybody it's damaging for the people outside outside of that person because they have no concept of how to help or what that person's going through and then if you are going through it, you just become so isolated. And and even us being able to share everything, 
there's still moments where you feel completely alone because it's such a specific and I guess fairly rare although it's not rare uh loss but it's it's so in the shadows like I remember going on to I remember there was this one day where I was like I just want to watch a documentary about baby loss I went on to Netflix BBC Channel 4 ITV and searched the phrases baby loss stillbirth miscarriage and only two things came up. One film on Netflix, which I watched but shouldn't have watched, to be fair, because trigger warnings galore. Um, and one BBC documentary by Tulip Mazunda, who has experienced a lot of miscarriages. Um, and that was it. Whereas if you Google, if, if you try and search for anything else on those platforms, most other topics that are still in the shadows, mm -hmm. you will get an abundance of options. Yeah. And yet something that apparently one in four people go through that, that are trying to have children, and it's nowhere. And it's like, and then you look for books and you're like, oh, there must be, and it, yes, there probably are a lot more books, but there's just, there's only, I mean, again, books that Charlotte has recommended me. There's just not that much. I mean, there's resources that you receive from charities, but there's just not much cultural, just nothing mainstream. There is nothing mainstream. Which can invalidate it as an experience in itself because you're like, I don't understand what is normal um, and that I need other people to know what I'm going through. Like, because we all, you know, there are lots of things we can sort of understand. Even I don't know, alcoholism or drug addiction or something. There's so many documentaries and things like that. You go, okay, well, yeah. we sort of know how to deal with, but yeah, grief and especially around this area, especially Brits, I think we're, you know, we've got no, we do have this fear and I'm, I'm very much guilty of it with friends who've lost uh, loved ones and you think, I don't know how to talk about it. I'm very lucky to have you as a friend because you guide people. I think you're quite good at going, I need to talk or I want to, like, I, th I think you are, I mean, you're very self-sufficient, um, but you're so self-aware I guess as well, I've got quite a unique situation where I was trying to be the friend there for Charlotte for seven months on the outside, trying to help. And then it also became my life. Can I just ask how you felt in your body over those, you know, the follow and how you still feel now physically? Um... Yeah, so one of the... Again, it's really different for each person. On the Sunday when I went into labour, I was given, I think, essentially their hormone blockers to stop milk coming in. For some reason, it doesn't work on everybody, apparently. It worked on me. So my physical recovery... And again, it's so strange because I never thought I would have an, an actual birth. I'd been prepping for, like okay, how do I look after scars? What pants do I need so that it don't, they don't hurt my scars? What tops can I wear so that it doesn't rub on my scars? Like that's, I was prepping for all of that, right? So I really, I hadn't prepped. And to be honest, in the, in the antenatal classes, when they were talking about like natural births or whatever, um, I was just like, oh, I don't need to listen to this bit. 
because I just thought like, oh, it's not going to be me because, you know, there's a number of days that we could have a cesarean on, but it just didn't occur to me. And nobody said, even if you're booked in for a C-section, you might go into natural labour. It just never occurred to me that that would ever happen. Basically, a week after the birth, my body had returned to back to normal, but also much smaller than I was pre-pregnancy. So I, I dropped a dress size from the size that I was before being pregnant. What the fuck? <laughs> I was just like... And it was such, I was, I kept talking to my bereavement midwife and I was like, it doesn't even look like I've had a baby in the last, well, it just doesn't look like I've ever had a baby. How did you feel about that? I just, it, I, it was just an absolute head fuck for me because my emotions were all in the deep grief, but then I'd look in the mirror and be like, was I pregnant? Yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't look like it. And I've got no sign. Like, I I guess I never got big enough to have stretch marks. I was on a really controlled diet with um, gestational diabetes. In my normal life, I do not give two shits about diets. I eat what I want, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't really think about food in that way. So I guess I also must have lost a bunch of weight through doing that really strict dieting for gestational diabetes. And then I guess what is... What is really strange, and I remember Charlotte talking about this when Margot had first passed away, was being like, where's my baby? Yeah. Because if you can feel them moving, which a lot of people can, depends on the placement of the baby. Uh, I felt Chloe moving from probably about 17 weeks, and she was a really active mover. And she fucking loved cabaret and drag and, like, music. Loved, like, Beyonce. Loved Garage, thank God. Um, <laughs> but So she was constantly moving, right? And we would talk to her and she would respond to us. And, like, she was... I, I'm, I kept trying to take videos of her, like, moving in my belly, but I never got... I would always try and then she'd stop. And then I just never got to do it, which I regret. But, um you become so aware that they're living inside you. And I guess I had to be actively really aware of everything going into my body during the pregnancy. I had to be really aware of the sugar intake and how long it would take to break down sugars and all of that kind of stuff. So I became so aware of her constantly because it was everything to do with my whole routine. I had to think about her and with the alarms for the blood test, whatever, I was just constantly thinking about her. Um, and feeling her there and then when she wasn't inside me anymore moving it's like well where is she yeah and that becomes really confusing and that's where I think a lot of the grief comes from because you're like and then you'll see a baby and you'll be like oh my god where's my baby and then you're like oh she's not here anymore and it's like and if, and now one of the kind of after effects that I have is that um, my main trigger is hearing babies cry. I don't know why, but um, it's the thing that I find the most difficult, possibly because there's some sort of primal thing in me that goes, help the baby, go to the okay. baby. 
it doesn't matter how far away the baby is, I can hear it. And I can literally hear a baby that's three doors down crying. I still have those instincts, those parenting instincts of go help the baby, because that's what my body and brain has been prepped for. But there isn't a baby. There's just cats that need rehoming, which is how I deal with it. <laughs> As we have seen. Whenever you hear a baby cry, like, where's the cat? Where's the cat? Where's Danny gone? Where's Doris, bring some friends over. I need food. <laughs> um, Gosh, yeah. I mean, that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think people dealing with sort of different types of grief would understand that. Um, you know, it always brings to mind like the, the John Mayer song, um, Dreaming with a Broken Heart. And I just, the line is the waking up is the hardest part. And it's that, oh, they're not here. And it's, I know that's about a breakup and shit, but like, you know, I remember dreaming about on a very smaller level, dreaming about my granddad and waking up, going, oh, he's, oh no, he's not. And, but that I imagine times a million of just, because it's part of your body. Yeah. yeah. And just like, just things, you know, it's every single day. Um, I'll be in a supermarket, I'll look in someone's trolley and then they've got baby milk or they've got, you know, and it's just, it's constant things where I'm like, or, or it's stupid things like our car. I'm like, we only got that car because we needed extra room. Yeah. And now, do you know what? It, but it's so many things. It's literally the furniture that's right next to me right now. We bought it because we needed more furniture for her. There's a bunch of stuff. We did such a clear out because we've got quite a small flat. We had to do a massive clear out. And I'm constantly like, oh, that would have been really handy. But I've actually got rid of it because to make room for Chloe's stuff. But she's not here. And now I don't have that thing. And it's like... <laughs> How do you deal with that on a day-to-day basis? Do you just let yourself go, oh, and you think about it? Or do you have not sort of any distraction technique but any sort of coping mechanism that deals with that constant sort of thing like how do you stop yourself going you know deep deep down every two minutes or or do you just let yourself is that what it is at the moment I think it's I think it's a mix I think luckily I knew this early on because of having PTSD as well with other things and anxiety and depression with other things as well and and other traumas I know what isn't good for me and I know what is good for me so I decided to go back to work after seven weeks part-time to start off with because I know that my brain will just spiral 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 forever until I shut it up and the only way I can shut it up is through keeping it busy or keeping around people and with my job where I work in theatre, I'm around a lot of people. It's not like, it's not kind of like solo work or whatever, it's working with a lot of people. And I find that like the easiest, I guess, to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I just try and manage, I try and manage it as much as possible. But there's also another side of that where grief is so physically draining that it's, you know, my old self I could work full-time watch shows in the evening see friends in the evening see friends weekends busy 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 I'd have enough energy to do all of that and at the moment I want to be around people constantly but I don't have the energy so it's also like okay I'm going to do one small thing with a friend on Saturday and one small thing with a friend on Sunday but it can probably only be a few hours because I run out of energy. And I mean, luckily as well, like 
I've, you know, Charlotte and I communicate as well a lot on the hard days. I've also met some other amazing people through SANS, who are a baby loss charity. And there's also another lovely group of people that we just have like a WhatsApp group. Uh, and there's like six of us. And actually what's really interesting with that group is Chloe was born the first out of everybody else in that group. And some of the other losses are really recent losses. And it's, in a way, it shows it shows you how much you are recovering in how much you can help somebody else. Um, I read somewhere about grief that one of the best ways to kind of cope or, you know, uh, or find comfort is by helping other people. I find that really, I find that really interesting that there's just something so, I guess, primal about like human instinct of wanting to connect with somebody else that by actively helping other people, it helps you as well. It's a learning mechanism as well. So um, Mm. my mum used to teach learning strategies at school and you're told to teach people a subject so you can learn it. Like you don't know a subject until you're telling someone else about it. I know it's a different sort of thing, but it's you're helping yourself learn about your own experience by talking through someone else's. It's such a an awful thing to go through, but grief, from my own experience, which is nothing like yours at all, there are pockets of beauty. Like what have been the yeah, yeah. pockets of beauty for you? Early, early on in one of the podcasts that I listened to, somebody said that 70% of couples that go through this break up. And I, I, I heard that literally like a week after Chloe had passed away. And I was like, wow. holy fuck. What? Like, what? And I was just like, oh, my God. Um, That's insane. I know. Wow. I know. It just shows I mean, the support isn't there as well, I think, too. Yeah. And, and people grieve differently. And some people can, you know, like it is a horrific loss. Um I can't, and you know, I still think back to what Ed said, you know, that day when he said, if we can get through this, we can get through anything. And like, we've already had to deal with a lot in our relationship, a lot of other traumas and difficult things. But there's, I guess there's like a, yeah, I guess there's like a fearlessness almost for like the strength of our relationship and like, and also like, you know, we we know what it's like to be parents now and we know that we want that and it's just about how we get there for me it's really changed a lot of my relationships mostly for the better it has chloe passing has um improved to relate two big relationships in my life that were one one of those people we had lost contact for four to five years and then that person got back in touch after Chloe passed away and then one other family relationship was quite difficult for quite a few years and then since the day she was born it has been really great and really productive and really lovely it's made me see my friends as family in a way that I'd never not that I'd never seen before but in a much clearer way I guess I've seen I I now see life in a quite a different way 
I probably don't get as stressed out now on the small stuff because, you know, little things just seem really insignificant. Yeah, I suppose when I say pockets of beauty, it's not a, you know, because of this then. Yeah, but that is, that is really what it is. Like, because these things wouldn't have happened had she not have been born, right? I love as well that you, obviously, I'm, I'm guessing there's a, a language thing here as well, the importance of saying when she was born. Yeah, which I, think I is always a big say that. shift that people don't really consider. Um, do you, sorry, this is strange, but do you say goodnight to her and good morning and stuff? Do you do you feel her sort of with you or do you, are you quite sort of clear on that? You know how often people talk to... Yeah, do you know what? I, I, I don't do that. What I, again, I'm not massively a verbal person, so I, it's probably just my way of doing things. I, whenever I see a butterfly... I kind of think that it's her. It's going to sound really weird. Um, or that it's like sent from her or sent from the babies that are up there. And like Margot, Margot's symbol is a rocket. And um, we're still kind of getting to know each other's symbols in, in the new like Sam's group. But there's a lot of like butterflies and stuff. And every, every time I kind of see one of those symbols, I think of like all of the babies being together. Um, I think I find a lot of comfort in thinking that all of these babies are just in a room somewhere in a like in a nice way not that they're like sat there crying or anything but like in this kind of like just sweet way how they're playing and looking after each other and like my granddad's there and some other people are there just like watching over them Meme's obviously there she's probably being a bitch though to be fair (laughs) I do love that I know we're sort of we're not sort of keen on the whole religion thing but we need stuff like that to... and I've got like a lot of just things around so like it seems like I've gone a lot to like objects so I've got like a necklace that says Chloe that Charlotte bought me I've got another necklace that has got a butterfly on it that Charlotte bought me with some other like family things on it and I basically wear that every day I'm basically buying anything really or trying to get my hands on anything that's got butterflies or seas um when I was pregnant I also was like, oh, I'm going to have a look at all of the Chloe stuff, like the brand Chloe, because I could, like, I, you know, for, like, her 16th birthday or whatever, would I get her, like, a Chloe perfume or would I get her a Chloe handbag or, like, I I just became really aware of that brand, I guess. Yeah. And I've been, I mean, it's really fucking expensive, <laughs> but I've been buying, like, Chloe perfumes on Depop secondhand and stuff like that. And like just little things that say the word Chloe on. I think that's really gorgeous. The embracing it because we, w- I would have no idea that that is how someone would would go through that as a pro- as you know, not just process of grief, but as a celebration of her, I suppose. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's it's like it, you know, it's like memories of her, I guess. Talking about another celebration, Chloe Kelly, England footballer. Oh my god! I really like when I saw. Oh that she was gosh. called Chloe Kelly. I then checked on Instagram and you had posted about it. And I was like, and it was this real sudden feeling of, oh my God, like, I know it's so, yeah. there was this sense of spirit. And I, and then of course she scored the goal. Like, how did you feel? Like, tell me about the watching the Euro final. So I remember when I was off, I was off work. I think it was in May. So I was part-time at this point. And I turned on the TV And the first thing that I heard, it was on BBC, the football was on. The first thing I heard was someone say Chloe Kelly. 
I thought I'd imagined it and I was like what's going on was my computer on like I just got so confused that I was like who has just said her name in the living room where you know her ashes are and like loads of her stuff is in this room I, I just got so confused and then I was like I think it came from the tv okay so there's women's football and then I think it someone said it again because she must have been playing and I was like oh my god she's called Chloe Kelly I was like what the fuck and then put it on the family group and everyone was like oh my god yeah of course like we hadn't even realized like a lot of Ed's side of the family are really sport people and my mum also loves football but my mum supports France um and my mum hadn't noticed um and we'd been away for for a wedding and we came back just in time for the football match. I didn't think she'd play, to be fair. And we, we talked about it a lot, actually. And we were like, oh, I wonder if she'll be playing. And I think Ed was saying that she usually is a sub or whatever. And she doesn't, or she's not always in like the, the main team. And she didn't start off the match. I think I text on the family group saying, I hope Chloe Kelly comes on. And then within five minutes, she came on. And then I remember texting saying, I hope Chloe Kelly scores a goal. I was like, lol, wouldn't it be funny if she scored a goal or something like that? And then maybe like five, I don't even know the timeline, but but then she scored. And then what was the weirdest part, and I've still tagged this onto my Twitter, was the commentator just shouting her name. And Ed and I were literally in tears. And it, it was quite, again, quite like an out-of-body thing. We hadn't slept much the night before either because of fucking wasps. And um, wasps are cunts. Um, <laughs> and we were just like, it was just so surreal. And just all of a sudden, just everywhere... It was just everyone shouting her name. You could hear on our street that other people were clapping or cheering. Or It was so bizarre, but amazing. And also England women's and amazing. Yeah, and everything just... else about it was incredible anyway. And weirdly, while the match was on, before Chloe Kelly came on, it had reminded me, I was like, oh, there must be some Chloe Kelly football shirts. So I'd been looking during the match, trying to find one. And then we got sidetracked when she came on because they had my size in stock and everything. And I was like, oh, amazing. They've got my size. They've got Ed's size. And they were really fucking expensive. But I was like, oh, I'll get them for Ed for his birthday or something. And then I was like, oh, shit, I need to get the football shirts. And I went back and they'd all sold out. And I was like, oh, fuck. Um, so then I would, like went on Twitter and I was like, can anyone help me? And like tag the lionesses and stuff. And then here's the weird bit. And I don't know if I've told you this. A couple of days later... Charlotte was on a train and Charlotte she's so friendly and lovely she just started chatting to these two women and one of them ended up being Lucy Bronze's aunt who she was chatting to and she's like oh yeah we're coming down to they were traveling to go and see Lucy on that train and that's why they were on the train and Charlotte I think told them about me and Chloe and said oh do you mind if I write a letter to, that you could give to Lucy to try and get it to Chloe Kelly, the footballer, about our situation? 
just like if there's a chance of getting like a shirt or something signed or like any of that would just be so amazing because we do feel I genuinely feel really connected to Chloe Kelly because she also looks like the Kellys like <laughs> the Kelly family massively yeah. <laughs> wow that's awesome about about the train no you hadn't told me well, I hope they I hope she delivers um that would be that'd be so lovely it really honestly yeah we were in tears anywhere like we were in tears about just everything because I was so aware that it was Chloe Kelly I found it really sort of yeah celebratory thing and there is that idea of yeah, it's the spirit of you know, yeah, it was gorgeous. It was um, it's like the best way it could have ended. The fact that I said, "Oh, I hope she comes on," and then she came on. Yeah, and you know, in we were watching it in the same room where where her ashes are and stuff. Like, it just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like she made it happen somehow. Yeah. And then the next morning, I went and bought all the papers. All the well, what I was trying to do was buy the good papers that aren't twats. They're all twats. <laughs> well, apparently I failed on one because I didn't realise that they were naughty, bad people. And then I brought it home and I was like, I think I've bought all the good ones. Love, I think as long as we pay our taxes, we are all bad people. <laughs> oh, well, true. Well, That's Christ. my position anyway. That's just me going, get whatever fucking paper you like. We're all... <laughs> get whatever Everyone's shit. Everyone's shit. Get whatever fucking paper you like, love. <laughs> Balance out the fact we're having paper straws. Like, it's... Um... <laughs> Yeah, we're the problem. Yeah. Whatever, sorry. Um, So you got some newspapers with her? Yeah, I feel like I'll be collecting various Chloe Kelly bits. I also, um, I think once, I imagine the Lioness's accounts may die down again, sadly, because, you know. No, we'll see. I think think they'll they'll retain their their stock, I think. I might try and tag Lioness again, the Lioness account, um, in my Chloe Kelly post. Well, if anyone's listening who works in sports journalism, which I know a few people in, so like, make it oh, happen. Oh, yeah, true. People, reach Very out. Very true. I thought you were about to joke that that I'm really sporty, so hopefully, which would no, be the no, biggest joke. No, you know, know a few people in sport, just like, we'll see if they can deliver. I know some people who kick footballs around. I know a bit of basketball. I know a few people. Yeah, I've stood next to a rugby player once. Really into sport. <laughs> Um, to be honest, that is the next podcast I'm going to do with Curtis. I'm going to just literally let him talk with that to you. voice. Yeah, well, I'm going to let him. All right, tell me about your. What's, what's, what's his right, team you like? What's his team you, you like? Got any sandwiches? <laughs> Listening joke. Um, yeah, no, I'm going to get Curtis just talk about rugby for two hours because at least then it's useful to me and I can make it into content rather than me just having to listen. Um, that's a lie. I do actually love rugby. Um, I'm still, I'm still thrilled from the time I stood next to Lewis Ludlam, who's just huge. And I, 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 I posted a story with a picture of him after the last game of the season, and I was like, "He's so big!" And he literally messaged me back, going, "Thanks." Like, oh my god, that's hilarious! I know he didn't then respond to it afterwards, but I was like, "I love you." Um, yeah, I need to stop DMing men. Actually, I don't think Coach likes. It. All right, uh, it's like he—he's literally just texted me. It's like he could hear. <laughs> Like he knew. It's that ghost of Chloe it's Kelly. Like, She's at yeah. it again. <laughs> like, yeah, I hope the podcast is going all right. What are you talking about? I was about to get onto Craig Doyle, but fine. I'll stop there. <sighs> um, oh, right, sorry. You control women. <laughs> it's, it's been quite a, a, a ride. Had a little cry. <laughs> Thank you for talking about it. And I hope it's like, I'm sure it will be useful to, because yeah, I know a lot of people going through this now and it's um, yeah. it's unbelievable how many people are and we just yeah like you said there's no documentaries on on this there's no resources there's no 
mainstream understanding or awareness. Like we only hear about it when a celebrity goes through it and then that's in the news for like, you know, a day and then they get all these awful tweets and stuff and they have to deal with all the backlash of that. But yeah. And and on that, genuinely, I really hope that Long, Lauren Goodyear is doing okay. I'm genuinely really worried about her at the moment, the way that she's being bombarded. She lost her child a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think on at one day old or so and I think a few weeks before that lost an ex-partner as well so and I mean I, I yeah I really hope she's doing okay but um my hope is and also with Ronaldo Ronaldo lost his one of yeah, his twins did, yeah. as well um there have been some people who've really spoken out um about losing children to like stillbirth or or you know losing children very early on i think we need a lot on the medical side of it as well like literally just under and i think what you've done is explain quite quite well and quite clearly like what happened i know it's sort of making you go through it again um but it i think it's good for people to understand even just like the real practical what happens and what goes on and um yeah it's been i'm sure now i'm sure it'll be really helpful thank you so much my love you are just you are amazing absolutely fucking amazing I just want to say quickly as well, because I probably didn't explain actually uh, if there are plenty of people that have that give birth absolutely fine if they have low pape, uh, gestational diabetes or this other bile acid thing that I had. The majority of people that go through those pregnancies have absolutely fine, healthy babies what ended up happening with Chloe was a different thing to do with my placenta that is one in 10,000. So it's super, super rare. Um, so the majority of people, you know, with any of those uh, symptoms or problems will be absolutely fine. It's just that we were really unlucky, unfortunately. I think there's, um, with pregnancy especially, as we, we do know more and more about it, we have this whole 12-week thing of, you know, not talking until you've yeah. gone 12 weeks and all that. But yeah. I think with that, as with anything in life, what is the point in worrying, like be aware, know what's happened, you know, no risks and all that kind of thing. But I, you know, I love the fact that you guys were so celebratory about it as well. And so early on in like buying all these things, it's like, no, fuck it. Like, what are we going to celebrate and embrace? We can't, you know, be worrying about like, it's how wonderful that at least you had this joy you know, there was a real, real joy, not this yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anxious worrying, which a lot of people can, you know, can wrap themselves up True. with. Um, yeah. And I think it's so important to, yeah, to celebrate and embrace and look forward to. Yeah. Oh, my love. Sorry. I'm just, again, keep saying, and I have this thing that we've had a lot and I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm saying all the wrong things. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You don't know. You should never say any is... wrong things. <laughs> ah, shut up. But all you I want is you to, you to talk because you are just, um, you speak so well and eloquently and clearly and, and you say cunt every now and again. And, um, <laughs> which is, which, I think if you can, if you can mix up like losing your child with going someone's a cunt i think that is some sort of strength of personality and character that's just like next level that's um you're no you are incredible and thank you so much on it like i I put this on one of your posts recently thanks for like your generosity because you share so much of what you're going through um and it is really valuable it's helpful to people going through it and people who are trying to support people going going through this um so yeah you are amazing i love you you are just honestly what a find you were 
in some shitty little house share in Lewisham. Incredible. Beautiful thing. I've ever found in a house share. <laughs> my God. Well, have a nice day. Thank you. Oh, you're the best.